BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Nina Kim. Coming up on Forum... We're in a new era. Uh, the idea of your nice little green grass getting lots of water every day, uh, that's going to be a thing of the past. That was Governor Jerry Brown back in 2015. And seven years later, lawns are not yet a thing of the past, but they may be on the outs. Many water-conscious Californians grappling with costly water bills have or are thinking about removing their lawns and replacing them with succulents, native plants, or drought-tolerant trees. We'll hear how to replace your lawn and why it matters after this news. I'm Nina Kim. Welcome to Forum. Landscape watering accounts for about half the water Californians use at home, according to state data, and that's leading some drought-conscious residents to consider tearing up their lawns in favor of less water-intensive gardens. Listener Margaret wrote in, My husband and I removed our front lawn 10 years ago. We were inspired by the City of Ventura's WaterWise incentive program. We did all the removal and design ourselves and planted the yard with mostly native and drought-tolerant plants. It was so successful, we did the backyard a few years later. We now have our own little native ecosystem that feeds local birds, bees, butterflies, and squirrels throughout the year. We hardly ever have to water, and if we do it, by hand only. To us, it is a no-brainer and one of the best projects we have ever done. Well, this hour, we'll talk about how to remove your lawn if you're considering it too, the plants, grasses, and trees you might consider replacing it with, and what resources might be available to help offset the cost. And listeners, we want to hear from you. If you've removed your lawn, let us know if you have any tips, or if you're considering it and have questions, you can ask us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQBD Forum, email forum at kqbd.org, or call 866-733-6786. Joining me now, Sean Mastretti, founder and principal at Studio Petrichor, a landscaping company focused on drought-tolerant gardens in Los Angeles. Sean, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. 
Also, Flora Grubb is with us, owner of Flora Grubb Gardens in San Francisco. Hi, Flora. Hi. Thank you for having me. My One of my favorite topics. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you. So, Flora, let me start with you. Just how water-intensive are lawns? Lawns are thirstier than just about anything else you can plant in your landscape. And they're thirstier by orders of magnitude than most drought-tolerant plants. So meaning they need to be watered much more frequently in the course of a week, for example, daily even. That's right. Mostly not daily for an established lawn, but the amount of water that goes into keeping a lawn looking lush and green compared to the amount of water you'd need to use when you've got a beautiful, lush, flowery selection of drought-tolerant plants is going to be hundreds of gallons more. But John, you've said not all lawns are necessarily bad. Why is it a bit more complex than that to you? Mm, yeah, no, that was a great question. And I think there was a, maybe a, a slight misunderstanding. There was a, <laughs> a, a, a conversation around uh, grasses um, being bad for the environment. And there's lots of grasses that are awesome for the environment. In fact, you could switch out your, your lawn with a, a whole meadow of native grasses, right? Uh, which would be a better a better choice, but it is those turf grasses um, that uh, this we've been seeing uh, for for centuries now uh, that uh, use a lot more water than our region can afford to use. I see. So really, the ones that we frequently do use for our lawns are the ones that aren't so great. You're saying yes. Well, this listener in Oakland wrote in, we live in Oakland and just put in a 3,000-gallon rainwater tank and a gray water system so my husband could have a little patch of lawn. We got all 3,000 gallons in one early storm and pretty much the day after we put it in. We've got a lush lawn and still about 1,500 gallons in the tank under it. Wow, so this person really made an investment uh, to keep a lush lawn. Which has made me think a little bit about, and if we could visit for a moment, people really do love their lawns. I, there is a real nostalgia I think some people have with them in terms of happy memories, playing or resting uh, on their their lawn. I'm wondering, Flora, if you have any thoughts on this, like how I, I they do, became I so do. popular. Yeah. So I, I'd be willing to say that if you have a lawn that you really love and your yard is the gathering space for the neighborhood kids and you've got kids running around on that turf and playing several times a week, I I'm willing to let you make a case for keeping a little bit of lawn. But my sense is that most people listening who are spending money on water for lawns, the lawn is actually a default material. It's just what's been there, and so it's what continues to be there. And there isn't a really strong uh, love affair going on with that lawn. And so that, for those folks, we can ask, can you ask more than your lands of your lands from your landscape than just sitting there hogging up water and being something that you feel, you know, kind of neutral to positive about. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could have a garden that you could get really excited about with a different kind of investment. Well, let me go to caller Nick in Vallejo. Hi, Nick. Hi. What would you like to share? Well, so I've, I've done, I've done this, this series a couple of times. I, uh, 20, 20 years ago, I lived in Phoenix, Arizona, and I lived in a, you know, a very controlled community. About a, 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 and and 
but like all the all the ground all the grass was driving me nuts because like it was just like Phoenix doesn't have any water, you know. And so we decided to take ours out. So we took our grass we took our grass out. I put in the natural plants from the desert around around the the you know where the the house was. It looked beautiful and then they sued us. <laughs> what? <laughs> The homeowners association sued us because we oh. weren't supposed to change anything, right? They wanted they wanted grass, they wanted they wanted putting greens everywhere, and um, and so we won. We we actually won. So so we we kept that one. Then when I later after we sold that house, I moved up here to Vallejo, and about ten years ago, and that was right when the other drought hit and they started putting the severe water restrictions in saying they would fine us if we watered too much. Cause we had a huge lawn and we decided to take the front lawn out and keep flowers in the back. You know, let's put the water in the back. And then we also, also changed all of our, like the, the drains for the, the sink and the garbage disposal and all that stuff so that we could capture that water. And we used that to water our lawn mm. and wh- what was left. But but and what we put in was desert plants. You know, I put in uh, a couple of saguaro cactus and and uh, um, artichokes and stuff like that, which are beautiful plants. You know, beautiful, very yeah. low water and 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 it, you know it works great. I think well, I'm so glad. It works great. Yeah, thanks, Nick, for sharing your story. Um, well, and that's really the focus of this show. If you've determined that yes, you can and do want to remove your lawn. Sean Mastretti, what should people do first? No, oh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> first and foremost, site conditions and context guide us in making our decisions. There's no one simple template approach. Really, it's deciding what you want to do. And just removing the turf is one piece of a much larger puzzle. And how do you do that, right? Um, Studio Petrichor, we're a landscape architectural firm. We are reimagining landscape and lifestyle with that emphasis on summer dry gardens. So um, one of the best ways that we have found, not best, I don't like using that word, my apologies, (laughs) but our favorite way, because it builds healthy soil is lasagna mulching, uh, aka sheet mulching, but we use cardboard. You know, that abundant material that's all over and free as well as mulch. Um, and we layer that. We layer it down and and uh, cover up the grass. And we have very specific ways of doing this. Um, sometimes we need to remove the, the sod with a sod cutter or, or, or find ways to kind of even out the grade, right? And we can get into those details later if you, later if you want. But laying overlapping that cardboard and layers of thick mulch help to, one, prevent that grass from growing back and it starts to build healthy soil. That's wow. one awesome place to start. Yeah. And you mentioned the cardboard's free. I, I assume you mean the fact that people can, well, right now we're also ordering so many things online uh, with the pandemic. Are you ordering that from kind Amazon? Of cardboard? Yeah. <laughs> but that yeah. kind are of you... cardboard is good, right? Not the yeah. kind that has any design or is there Correct. something you should look for? That's an awesome question. Let's get that clear right now. Waxed cardboard or that brightly colored painted cardboard are two cardboards that we don't use a whole lot of very little. Um, and that's another story, but basically, you know, your appliance stores, your bike shops, and of course, Amazon, all of those are great contributors. You just remove the tape, make sure and remove that tape, then no plastic in the soil and start layering. 
So, Flora, anything you would add to that in terms of lawn removal, those first steps in the process that people should consider and what might be those initial things you do? I think, yeah, I think it's it just depends on the size of the lawn that you're going to remove. Sheet mulching is great when you've got a large area. If you have a really small area, you might be able to do it with just a flat shovel. I, I hopped onto YouTube to, to take a look uh, this morning, and there are some great suggestions of, of DIY ways to, re- to remove... Um, a medium-sized lawn where you don't want to go to the expense of renting a sod cutter to remove it, but um, but it's a little too much to do with a, a shovel and where um, where sheet mulching isn't practical for whatever reason. So that could be a great place to look to figure out how to start by getting rid of the grass. Flora, are there any quote-unquote safe chemicals or other products that you've recommended to help this process along? No, we don't recommend any chemical process for removing the lawn. There really isn't anything that that you would say is safe, ultimately, if you're really trying to make sure the grass doesn't grow back. Not for not safe for people, animals and and plants. Yeah. Sean, would you agree? One hundred percent. I would agree. And I would also say that all of the answers are really right outside those free materials. Nature's intelligence teaches us what to do. That mulch and that cardboard that's available to us uh, for us is is all that's really um, that we need. Uh, So no chemicals. And besides the abundant renewable resource of um, cardboard, uh, many municipalities also have free mulch. Or you can hop on Craigslist and find free mulch, sometimes delivered. Um, sometimes you have to go pick it up. But you, in a lot of cases, you also needn't pay for that mulch. Right. So Stacy writes, in my yard, I can watch a hooded oriole feeding its baby while a fledgling sits on a sage branch. That's what you miss with having a lawn. Alameda County offered an enticement to remove lawn six years ago. Now our front yard is filled with wildlife and food watered by our gray water. We're talking about lawn removal, if that's what you'd like to do. And you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. If you want to post them there, you can always call us 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Any tips or thoughts because you've already ripped out your lawn, you can share those too. Forum is continuing after this break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're taking your questions and hearing about your experiences tearing out your lawn with Flora Grubb, owner of Flora Grubb Gardens in San Francisco, and Sean Mastretti, founder and principal at Studio Petrichor in Los Angeles. Listeners, if you want to join the conversation, 866-733-6786 is the number. Email forum at kqed.org. Post your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. And let me go to Lily in Redwood City. Hi, Lily. Hi. Hi. Hello. Go go right Hi. ahead. You're I, on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I so I live in Redwood City, right by the Oracle headquarters, and there is um, a lot of lawn just all around our neighborhood. But um, posted with all of it is a little sign saying "watered with desalinized water." So I'm wondering if the speakers can just. I've heard people mention gray water systems and rain caught water, but if they could speak to that a little. Oh, cool. Uh, Sean, do you want me to go to you first on that? Sure. Um, I. Um... I cannot speak to desalinized water other than I have heard that there are some um, ecological implications to that. Uh, gray water is a fantastic, you know, it's a fantastic thing. I wash my dishes in a bowl and take my water outside to water plants. That's how sensitive I am about water. Um, the one thing that I know, and as all of my best arborist friends are telling me, uh, that the three things that are against us right now are water, wind, and salt. And salt in the soil or sodiums uh, in the soil that sometimes come with reclaimed water can um, restrict roots from being able to take up water and our trees need water. So that's one thing. So being mindful of where you're using gray water and what kind of gray water you're using would be something I would explore. Hmm. Laura, do you have anything to add to that for Lily's question? I guess I would just, I would just suggest that if we have Access to abundant water from any source, I'd still like to suggest that we could do something more fun with it than have um, large swaths of, of lawn. Well, Lily, thanks for your question. Let me go to Antonio in Santa Clara. Hi, Antonio. Hey, good morning. Um, you know what is absolutely incredible is that since... I cut, I mean, it's been more than a few years now since I cut watering. The butterflies are coming back. I've got poppies growing in my front yard. And I'm just like, what an incredible abundance and what incredible like just perpetuance nature has it's 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 absolutely fantastic and i'm so happy to see the flowers coming up because we all know we're living in a drought and there's nothing strange about it it's just wonderful it's, it's great. I well, got it's... sage in the backyard. I got poppies in the front yard. And it's it's just, it's so great to be uh, well, I'm, I'm not like anti-hydro, but it's so great to see what actually 
can live here in California. Yeah, when you don't when you don't water. Um, actually, Quincy writes, "We live in Healdsburg, and it gets hot. We've let our lawn go brown over summer for years now. I was tempted to paint it green with lawn paint, but in the end, that seems silly. It's a more natural look, similar to the Golden Hills of California. It requires no mowing, and best of all, it greens up again when the rain comes." They don't die. They just go dormant. It's important, of course, to have it tidy and short. It's a pleasure to enjoy the green again for at least half the year. I think an aesthetic shift is all that's needed. An aesthetic shift. That's so interesting. (laughs) I'm wondering if you think more of us can make the shift. We want to keep lawn to seeing beauty and letting dormant summer grass fade to gold. I think that was actually a slogan, like let it fade (laughs) to gold, Flora Grub. And if that's Okay, like lawn can generally live and come back with the California rains of the winter. You know, I think that when we're talking about using less water in the landscape, it's just important to dispel the myth that it has to look any one way. And what we want is for people to have landscapes in their lives that they love. And luckily here in California, we do live in a, in a truly remarkable climate. And at Flora Grub Gardens, we've collected plants from other places all over the world that have climates that are as dry or drier than ours. And those plants don't have to look any particular way. They, we have plants with big, lush green leaves that use significantly less water. We have plants with really abundant flowers that use less water. And of course, plants that wildlife love. So they're um, letting your lawn go golden may be a great option for some people. Um, but there isn't just one way that uh, a garden that uses less water needs to look. Sean, are there any considerations before someone just shuts off the water on their lawns that they should just keep in mind? Mm. Yeah, trees, first and foremost, like what's what will happen to the tree, your tree might require that summer water. So, you know, slightly planning ahead, not uh, um, not this knee jerk reaction to just shut off the water. Uh, We need to be more mindful about uh, the trees that provide our cities with cooling and shade. Well, and the uh, okay. landscape as well, right? Because we see folks get really reactionary when when it's in the news a lot about about dry climates and turn off the irrigation system watering their gardens as well. And and turning off the irrigation system altogether that's watering your garden such that your garden dies is a waste of resources. If your garden needs a, an amount of water to survive um, through a very dry spell rather than dying and needing to be replaced, uh, my my bet would be for getting rid of that lawn, but be continuing to put a, a minimal survival amount of water on your garden. Right. Well, this is, yeah. Sean, you wanted to add something? Well, I mean, look, uh, we, we take a whole systems approach to how we plan gardens. And if we can start thinking about that drop of rain that falls on our property and every drop that follows after that, getting that into the soil and keeping it on site. In many cases, we should be really thinking about that because that's when our native plants require the water, right? But how do we get that water to stay? Well, we need to optimize the soil, which is why mulch and, and the reuse of green waste on site is so powerful. Well, this is our tweets. Please discuss features of fake grass, especially how hot it gets. Would you ever recommend fake grass, Sean? No, never. 
Because, yeah, <laughs> okay. it's just not. <laughs> because uh, there's a number of reasons. The the all of the chemicals that go into it, it is bad for the. It is horrible for the um, environment. It increases heat island effect, and the um, forget the gravel layer that they use under there creates an inversion layer, meaning it does not drain into the soil. So there's a there's a number of reasons that I could go into as yeah. to why I would not suggest a synthetic turf. We want life. We want to support life. Let me go to caller Jin in Campbell. Hi, Jin. Hi. Hi, go ahead. Uh, can you... Okay. Yeah, so we um, took out our front lawn a couple years ago and put in a fruit orchard. Um, and my husband, um, you know, put a, like, a double layer of the landscape fabric and then tree bark on top. And, and the weeds still keep coming through. So I was wondering if your guest can give um, some advice on how to, you know, prevent weeds from growing all the time. Is that possible? Even? Jin, mm. thanks. So we've talked about removing the lawn, but, but Flora, how do you prepare the space for new plantings? And especially if you're weed conscious, as Jin is, what can Jin do? Well, first, firstly, remember that weeds come up from below and they come down from above too, right? So seeds, so whether the weeds are still coming up from below underneath the landscape fabric or whether it's seeds that are dropping onto whatever surface you've um, you've got and then uh, getting a foothold there. Uh, either way, all gardens need tending. They'll, they'll all need some care. And eradicating weeds completely from a garden it isn't really a thing. But, you know, lawns need a, a, a lot of care and all kinds of care. And whatever landscape you choose is going to need some amount of care as well. And part of that is always going to be weed removal. Sean, do you have any thoughts on preparing the space for yeah, new plantings? Flora. Yeah. Yeah, Flora, thank you for that. Our relationship to the land is so important. We can we can design and install all the most beautiful gardens in the world, but 90% of the success and, and true sustainability of any landscape is our relationship to it. And to speak to weed block or weed cloth, I, we don't use it because it prevents moisture from getting down, moisture and oxygen from getting into the soil layer. Uh, it certainly uh, is a, uh, creates hotels for the, Argent the invasive Argentinian <laughs> ants. And uh, we want materials that feed the soil. That's how we this system has evolved. Mother Nature didn't design gravel to feed her soil or weed block to feed her soil. She designed leaves that her own plants dropped, right? So the more we can support the carbon in the soil, leaves, I'm sorry, mulches and, and organic materials in the soil, that increases our water holding capacity. And that's what we want to be focusing on. Well, I want to bring into the conversation now Caitlin Hernandez, LA Explained reporter for KPCC LAIS. They're also author of a recent piece, How to Swap Out Your Thirsty Lawn with Drought-Friendly Plants, just to talk a little bit more about how we can think about what we want to replace our lawn with. Caitlin, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. First of all, I really love the fact that you're piece highlights the fact that it can be expensive to replace a lawn. So first, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the rebates available to Californians that you've learned of? 
Sure, sure. Um, so one of the parts of this this guide that we put on LAS.com, it does go into the rebates because, you know, these kinds of projects can sometimes get expensive depending on what you do. Um, but the good thing to know is that a lot of local water districts have programs where they'll give you usually between, you know, two to four dollars back per square foot. Um, and there are rebate programs um, that will also even help you, you know, with converting your your um, sprinklers to something like drip irrigation or a rain capture system. So, you know, they really help cut down the cost. So, you know, we always recommend if, if you're in a position to be able to afford some an investment type like this type of project, um, they're, they're great to do because you're going to get paid back to do it. So this is something that, well, let me read Lynn's comments really quick. I plan to remove my lawn in Camarillo. I wanted to try the cardboard, but discovered the lawn has a plastic netting from the old sod installation. So I will have to have all the sod removed, which is very expensive. I love this program. I disliked lawns even before the drought. I'm just curious if there's anything that could specifically meet Lynn's needs potentially with the expense of having to deal with uh, plastic netting from the old sod installation. Um, and, you know, it sounds like there, there's, you know, there's some things underneath the sod and, and possibly depending on what type of grass was in there, there could be even some roots further down. Um, you know, all of this would be covered in, in these rebate programs that are available. Um, a lot of times they'll, they'll want you to remove a certain minimum of square footage, um, and then they'll maybe have some plant requirements. So, you know, I would definitely recommend that she check with her local water district to see what's available um, because there are, like I said, programs that are separate that will help with, you know, water efficiency, but then also like sod removal. Um, so I would definitely recommend that she check in there. And this, these make sense for homeowners. Curious if you have looked into what apartment dwellers can do if they're concerned about lawns at their complexes. Yes, um, this is something I'm going to personally look into as well, because uh, I'm an apartment dweller myself. Um, you know, and, and a lot of people in this state do do rent, um, either rent a home or part of an apartment complex. And so if you're, you know, you're listening to this program, and you're thinking, well, I don't have access to a lawn, you actually probably do your, your front, you know, building area probably has a lawn. And so things that, you know, I recommend in the guide is that you can petition your landlord. And, and I think that's a good thing to do. Um, and like I said, that's something I'm planning to do personally myself. Um, and so that can start with with just letting people know, letting your landlord know that, you know, sometimes they can use the residential rebate programs that are available. Um, there are certain caps to that, like if there's a certain amount of units um, in a complex um, or they can usually do a commercial rebate program if the water district has one, um, which in my, my research that's available too. Uh, and so, you know, these these programs are really for for everyone, um, even if you're not a landlord and you're just a commercial business owner um, that has, you know, a green area in front of your building. This is something that could apply too. well, Kit writes years ago, we ripped out the grass of our backyard and replaced some of it with gravel to make a sitting area. In early years, we had some legacy geraniums and calla lilies. We slowly added succulents and then about three years ago started a focus started a focus on California native plants. We don't water at all in the summer, except a manzanita in its first year of planting, and a Meyer lemon tree, which gives us lemons for marmalade. I'm happy that at all times of year, there is something blooming. The garden hosts honey and carpenter bees, some cabbage white butterflies, every year at least one red admiral, and even once or twice, a swallowtail. Caitlin, do you have any tips for finding native plants and, and finding ones that are particularly well-suited to where you live? 
Yes, I certainly do. And I have to say the, the garden just sounds lovely. Doesn't it? Uh, one of the uh, resources that I point to that I just think is excellent is uh, Cowscape. Uh, they're just a website of, you know, that has a huge database. I believe it stretches back about a couple hundred years of native plants in California. And they have this amazing feature that I love. You can look up plants, um, you know, by height, how much water you use. But, you know, in my experience, maybe the most useful is looking up by zip code. So you can, you know, pop in your zip code and see what's growing locally near you. Um, you know, and I would recommend making sure that it's available at a local nursery um, because some of the plants in that database don't grow as easily anymore because they're a little bit older and the way our climate has developed. Uh, but Calscape is certainly, certainly amazing. Um, you know, and, and just in my area, I have, you know, California buckwheat growing, which is throughout the state, California poppies, uh, bladder pod. So there, there's a wealth of, of plants to pick from. Oh, that's great. Well, Jan writes, my husband and I took out our lawn a short while after moving into our home in Vallejo about four years ago. It wasn't in very good shape, so it was a win-win. We put down cardboard and covered it with mulch and then planted our plants and used drip irrigation to water them. We even got a check from the county for doing it based on the square footage of the lawn we replaced. It's looking pretty good now. And we get compliments from people walking by another person who was using some public resources. Beth writes, here in the Sierras, having drought-resistant plants has increased the number of bees, butterflies, and small lizards we have. We have a small modern gray water setup that reuses our water via a drip system for native trees, which provide shade in the summer. Come winter, they lose their leaves, which provides more light and passive solar inside our small home. Caitlin, before I let you go, you wrote about lawn shape and how lawn shape plays a role in their water use. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Certainly, yes. Um, so, you know, if you take a look at, you know, most standard lawns, they tend to have a downward slope. Um, and that is, you know, very intentionally by design. Um, for example, in my neighborhood, there are plenty of lawns that do that because when wa runoff water happens, uh, we want to reduce the chances of flooding. So it's it's built in a way so that any water rolls down into the storm drains and goes into, um, say, for example, the L.A. River, and that goes straight out to the ocean. But right now we need to be conserving water and not you know, putting liquid gold essentially out into the ocean. Um, and so part of the guide, what I talk about there is how it's important to think about how your lawn is shaped. So when you're, you know, removing your turf, this is an excellent opportunity for you to kind of dig out what they call concaves, uh, where you want to make like a small bowl-shaped dip where it would actually retain water better than a standard lawn because it's shaped to keep it in. Um, and that ultimately will maximize, um, when, you know, when it, when it does rain in the state, how much water actually gets into your lawn that you don't have to put in yourself. Caitlin Hernandez, their LA Explained reporter for KPCC LAist. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And thanks for the resources that we can think about if we're thinking about tearing out our lawn, which is the subject of today's show. We're also joined by Flora Grubb, owner of Flora Grubb Gardens in San Francisco, Sean Mastretti, founder and principal of Studio Petrichor in Los Angeles. And of course, you, our listeners, will have more with you after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. We're talking about how to tear out your lawn. Any tips you may have if you've done this with Sean Mastretti, founder and principal of Studio Petrichor in Los Angeles, a landscape architectural design firm, Flora Grubb, owner of Flora Grubb Gardens in San Francisco. And you, our listeners, are joining at 866-733-6786 on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. And with your emails to forum at kqed.org. Let me go to Nancy and Benicia. Hi, Nancy. Hi, this is a great conversation. Thank you. I'm looking at our dried out lawn right now and wondering if there are any uh, specific recommendations or um, advice about meadow grasses and if those are recommended, if they are um, correct within drought tolerance, and also if they're good for areas with um, foot traffic from pets. Mm. Mm -hmm. Flora, what do you think? Meadow grasses? Yeah, meadows are wonderful, and it's a it's definitely a kind of a garden that people find really appealing, and it does take some management because what you're trying to do is create something like a wild landscape, but um, you don't want it to just be overtaken by weeds. You want to find uh, well adapted grasses that will grow without too much water, and um, and you can create areas that uh, can be used by pets or or walked on. There's a um, there's a, a several beautiful books by the author John Greenlee, who's one of California's um, prized grammarians who writes about uh, meadows as a as a direction. And um, it's a it's a wonderful solution. And it's a it's a it's a beautiful way to create a very uh, a garden that offers a lot of landscape, a lot of services to the environment. Well, Nalayini writes, I removed my lawn six years ago. I got a rebate and chose some plants from the list provided by the water company. I sheet mulched and shut down my lawn sprinklers. In retrospect, I wish I had more experience with California natives and picked more of them instead of the drought-tolerant but non-native plants on the list. Your local county master gardener organization should have classes that help you choose natives that can support each other and local wildlife, such as local bees and hummingbirds. I mean, Flora, the fun part is once you've removed your lawn, really thinking about what you're going to put in there. And so to make sure that you don't have any regrets, what are just some ways to approach that? Well, I think finding um, photographs of gardens that you really like, that, um, that where you can then kind of pick apart and dissect what went into which plants went into creating those gardens, looking at your neighbor's gardens and taking pictures um, of the plants that you see really thriving in your local area, you know, making sure that you're looking at um, photographs of gardens for inspiration that are from the climate where you live, and that you're going to love the end result, um, rather than um, kind of just impulse buying in the nursery or just buying plants off of a list that you haven't sort of vetted for your actual love of them. And again, what we're looking for is a landscape that you're going to love, right? So take a little time to figure that out. And at Florida Grove Gardens, you know, we have 
um, so many different kinds of plants that I, I think we have something that anyone could love. And then also a, a good nurseryman at an independent nursery is going to be able to help you um, select the appropriate plants for your space. And so okay. march right into one of your um, independent garden centers with photographs of the space that you're working with and get help with plant selection so that um, you're um, coming up with something that's really going to work well in the long run. Great. Well, let me go to Mary in Ventura. Hi, Mary. Hi. Thanks for uh, letting me speak. Um, one of your, your uh, commentators mentioned the, the benefit of trees and being careful about that, but I wanted to amplify on that even more. So while people are busy ripping out their lawns, I wonder if they're giving um, appreciation to the tree that is on that lawn, too, because they're very likely going to lose that tree or certainly it's going to suffer. And the trees create oxygen for us. They create shade around your house. Um, and trees, we all know, are just aesthetically beautiful. And, and what the California landscape before people settled it had no trees. And so it's the water use and, and so forth. So there has to be created, in my opinion, a balance between uh, water con conservation and also preserving the trees. I drive around town here uh, periodically on my errands, and I can I can visually see the trees that are suffering and the few that are doing well. And they are the ones that are doing well are usually um, planted on somewhere where there's a lawn. Yeah. And well, Mary. Yeah, well, well, thanks for reaffirming that. Uh, and what we were talking about earlier, when you consider just no longer watering your lawn as well, this listener tweets, I don't have a lawn, but I'm now trying to remove a few large water intensive ornamental shrubs. I'm replacing them with wood chips, rocks, native plants that butterflies and bees like. I've been working for three days on this. I like to sprinkle poppy seeds. They're beautiful and they don't like to get watered or they get moldy. I also let some, quote, weeds grow to see what they were and what kinds of things visited them. That was fun. Karen writes, I've been trying to have a drought-tolerant lawn for almost 20 years, but nothing I've tried has lived. I'm on the verge of giving up. But I would love to hear if there are any grasses or other ground cover you recommend that would need little water, but give me the feeling of a lawn. Huh. Sean, what do you think? Yes. Uh, so a lot has been unpacked in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> and um, I want to I wanna address that question about the tree and native plants and why they're uh, so crucial to this, uh, our situation with water. At Studio Petrichor, we have been getting our garden, especially our laboratory garden here, down to watering deeply once a month. So trees require less, uh, sorry, <laughs> infrequent deeper waterings. And so uh, native plants as well. So imagine if we got our landscapes established to the point where we could water them every three to three to four weeks, right? And so um, uh, there's all kinds of meadow type grasses that we could um, incorporate into our, our gardens, but we also wanna be mindful of the shrubs uh, as well, shrubs and perennials, and, and really be thinking about plant communities in our designs. Any thoughts on grasses that would give a lawn feel, Flora Grubb? My mm. favorite plant for a lawn feel, it, there's, there are several, but one of my favorites is called dichondra. And it can be a tiny bit invasive, so it might go where you don't want it to go because it's a plant that really spreads very aggressively without 
water. And there's a there's a green one and there's a silver one. And it's it's not a grassy plant. It's a it's a green little tiny leafy plant, but it's completely flat and you can walk on it. And for some area of space, it's a it's a great um, way to get a flat green area in your garden if that's what you really like. If you're going to walk on it a lot, you'll probably want to put stepping stones where you're mostly walking. But there are um, many choices of plants that are flat and green and take significantly less water than grass. Um, we've been using carapia down here and that is beautiful plant. And once established, we can get it down to watering again, once every three to four weeks. And it's a beautiful flat ground cover and does provide a lot of food for bees. Debbie wants to know, I took advantage of the lawn to garden rebate by Contra Costa County lawn to garden. I designed my own with drought resistant plants and it's been eight years. Lots of flowers and easy maintenance. I run the drip a lot at first, but this year they are doing fine with two times a week. Any thoughts on buffalo grass? Sean, buffalo grass? I don't have much experience with it. I've seen it. Um, I'm not in love with how it looks, um, but it, it, you know, Carex panza is a, a native sedge and has a similar look. It's definitely more green. And once it starts to brown out, you can cut it back all the way and it might start to re-sprout and it can certainly go summer dry. Uh, what, what do you think about buffalo grass, Flora? I don't have much experience with it either. I, mm. I love ornamental, well-adapted ornamental grasses, I think are wonderful. But as far as trying to replace a lawn with a drought tolerant grass. I think if what you're headed, if what you think you're going to achieve is something that looks like a lawn, I don't think most people get there. Even with carexes and those kinds of things, it's like it's very fluffy, you know, be- beautiful thing. It doesn't look very much like a lawn. Well, let me go to call her Lori in Oakland. Hi, Lori. Hi, Mina. Thank you so much to you and the producers for this program. While I've been on hold, I've learned so much already. Even though 20 years ago I put in a little urban farm in my North Oakland home, the one thing I would ask everyone listening to this program, well, two things. Please put in rainwater collection barrels on every downspout, on every roof. I have seven of them, two on my garage roof and six on my house roofs. So rainwater collection barrels, just even 55 gallons i put them in after the so-called storm of the century december 2014 and the one other thing and now monarch butterflies are now listed as uh, endangered and we they are two steps away from being extinct let's plant native milkweed everywhere as much as possible because that's the only thing they eat and it will help protect them that's um there's more but yeah. Well, I appreciate those recommendations, Lori. Thanks so much. Thank you, Mina. Bye. Bye-bye. And uh, let me just remind listeners that we're also talking with our listeners, getting advice from them, and with Sean Mastretti of Studio Petrichor in Los Angeles and Flora Grubb, owner of Flora Grubb Gardens in San Francisco. And you are listening to Forum 
I'm Mina Kim. I should also remind you about what we're talking about tomorrow. Governor Newsom declared a public health state of emergency in California to address the rapid spread of monkeypox in the state. We'll talk about what the declaration means and take your questions about monkeypox with infectious disease specialist Dr. Peter Chin Hong. You can always share those ahead of the show if you'd like by emailing forum at kqed.org or leaving a voicemail at 415-553-3300. This hour, we're talking about lawn removal and why it's important with California's mega drought. Jay writes, we anticipated drought and removed our front lawn in 2008 and our and our back in 2009. We reduced our summer water use by 75% and now have flowers, bees, including native bees, butterflies and hummingbirds year round. And our yard smells wonderful due to the salvia and other scented plants. I calculate that I have saved over $20,000 in the past 12 years, despite having an orange tree, lemon tree, apple tree, and vegetable garden in the back. Listeners should be aware that it is not a zero-maintenance yard, but the care is fun rather than tedious. And Daphne writes, We removed our grass and are so pleased we removed the lawn by hand. But it's important to remember that when you dig up a lawn, you will need to dispose of the old grass. We had more than we could fit into our compost bin. We then had to bring in good soil and mulch and then change the irrigation system to a drip system. We are thrilled with our decision to go with native plants, but it's important to keep in mind that it's quite a project, more than just a Saturday afternoon activity. Sean, it's true. It is a big job, and often sort of the size of the job can stop us from doing it. Also, the sense that really me taking out my lawn will help that much. What do you say to people who are considering it, a little concerned about the work, but also really wondering what a difference it'll make? Mm, that's such a great question. So just like the sea is a multitude of droplets, our cities are a multitude of parcels. And together, we make a huge impact when we start doing it together. I mean, imagine if our property lines came down and we started sharing property lines and rain gardens and bioswales and we all started collecting the water together to keep it on site. That would be a, an amazing thing, right? Yeah. So always think about ourselves as part of a collective and what little yes. things we could do I mean, can lead to the way we're going to get. Oh, so sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. The way we're going to get through this is together, right? And I just, I wanted to, if, if I could have just a second about speaking about affordability, what we do, we started a nonprofit so that we could teach communities how to do it together. And when you build these things, this is the most affordable and transformative way is to do it with community. When families and friends get together, amazing things happen. The materials are abundant and free if you know where to look. And that whole notion about removing your turf and having to ship it away, if you removed it, cut it, turned it over, let it die completely, you could probably return it to the soil under a hugelkultur berm or something like that, right? You could keep all that material on site. I talked about optimizing your soil. What that means is when we can get that carbon, that mulch or any green waste in the soil, it becomes soil and it increases water holding capacity. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Let me go to Katie. Hi, Katie in Oakland. Join us. Hi, Katie. You there? Can you hear me? I can. Uh, I just had a question. I've heard firefighters say that having mulch by um, the um, your house is a fire danger. Can you speak to that? Oh, Flora, mulch is a fire danger? Yeah, the, in very fire-prone areas, they do recommend that the area directly around your house um, be 
a gravel or something completely non-flammable. And we have a lot of experience with uh, plants with very high water content as being one way to help um, make your uh, property a, a little safer from fire. So when you plant um, succulent plants in, in particular, um, which have a lot of water, you, those plants won't uh, won't catch on fire. Whereas um, some kinds of plants can be quite flammable when uh, fire is coming near your property. So the moving in a direction, there are a lot of um, brilliant resources out there for how we manage uh, land and wild land um, for fire uh, prevention and at the level of the garden it, it can it, it can be about keeping the landscape away from the structures and then using plants with very high water content to slow those fires down. Well Greg writes, I'm sorry, but there's absolutely no replacement for beautiful lush green grass. As a kid I grew up in the eastern Washington desert. We had a beautiful green grass lawn and I used to lie on my back in this lush incredibly sensual biological carpet and stare up and wonder at the stars. And it was wonderful. You just can't do that with a bed of cactus or tumbleweeds. It reminds me of what we were talking about earlier, Flora, with people who really do have a love affair yeah, with their lawn. Yeah, and I think if he feels that way, he should have a lawn the size of a king-size bed. Absolutely. Keep that keep that little lawn and lie. And if you have several family members at home, you can each have a lawn the size of a king-size bed. And um, and then just turn the rest of, of, of your space into a, a beautiful garden and lie on the lawn staring at the stars in the midst of beautiful scented, um, drought-tolerant plants. Let me go to Patricia in San Rafael. Hi, Patricia. Hi there. Um, So I'm a tenant, and where I live, the previous owner had allowed the lawn to go brown during winter, and it did green up again uh, during summer, and then it did green up again in the winter. However, over the years, um, it's been taken over by oxalis, mostly Mm. in the winter, and now just dirt and a few weeds in summer. So I'm wanting to present sort of a really good plan to my owner so that she will accept my idea for uh, sheet mulching. So here's the question, first question. How many layers in this lasagna layering of cardboard mulch, cardboard mulch do I need? And will it work if we get a dry winter? Hmm. Or do I just, like, do I leave it there for over a year if we don't get a, a wet winter here? San Rafael, California. <laughs> Patricia, thanks. Uh, Sean, you were talking about lasagna mulching. Mm, yeah. So uh, like I said, site conditions and context are help us guide us in making our decisions. So uh, knowing that you have that o- oxalis and there's a few different out-, out there that are very pernicious and they may return, it's uh, living in that, um, that acceptance that this may come back. And am I okay with that? Even though I'm going to be turning the water off, I hopefully, right? Turning the water off and allowing for a summer dry garden to, to thrive. Um, so the question of thickness of, of layers of cardboard all depends on the level of um, um, <laughs> removal that you want to do. Say Bermuda grass and St. Augustine, some of those rhizomatous pernicious grasses that could creep right through, we would go probably three to four layers thick on that. Right. And then uh, if it were just a fescue or we might try the the, uh, the try for the oxalis, we might just do a couple of layers and then a really thick layer of mulch. And then most importantly, hand weeding afterwards and having that relationship with the land afterwards is super important to maintain. 
Well, thank you so much, Sean Mastretti of Studio Petricor for coming on today and sharing your insights and giving us some real instruction and resources. And Flora Grubb, same with you. Flora Grubb of Flora Grubb Gardens in San Francisco. So appreciate having you on. And as always, our listeners, you have been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.